Welcome to Sideburns and Cigarettes, a loop on the third podcast, a podcast about a monkey-faced thief, his friends, and their many adventures. We are covering all of the animated and live-action entries in the Loop on the Third franchise in, mostly, chronological order. And this is our weekly reaction series to part six, Ladies' Night. I almost said tea time because that's still fresh in my brain for some reason, but it's Ladies' Night. <laughs> and I will be covering episode 19, Fakes Attract Lies, part two. And um, I am Drew. I am Acris. <laughs> I, I am Natalie. <laughs> And we are joined by a returning guest, a YouTuber extraordinaire, and author of the upcoming book, um, uh, The Master Thief Files, the ultimate guidebook to Lupin the Third, Aficionados Chris. How's it going? He nailed it. He nailed he nailed the, the, the name, and it's uh, doing doing pretty good. I, I love being on the show, and I love being with these people. <laughs> Yay. Yep, we brought oh, him yeah. back. <laughs> and obviously, the... As you mentioned, the topic is the new episode, but because I know there's going to be some people, hell, even the people in this, they're like, well, how's the book coming along? What'd you do? What's going <laughs> It's It's still in the works. I took a vacation that I really needed, but I've been hard at work writing it. And I can announce that we scored a very big interview, the most demanded interview for yeah. the book, and it's happening this week. And that's with the one and only Richard Epcar. Yeah. <laughs> so he'll be interviewed oh, for the right book. On. When you announced that on Twitter, I freaked the fuck out. I was like, yes! <laughs> oh, I haven't announced that, like, anywhere outside of my server. <laughs> oh, nice. That's Cyburns and Cigarettes exclusive. Pretty much. The only other one I can say is, because, you know, we've got Richard Epcar, which was a, a, a huge get. Because <laughs> mm -hmm. when I tweeted long ago about, like, oh, who do you guys want to see interviewed in the book? Richard Epcar was, like, the number one request of, like, well, that was kind of planned from the get-go, so good to have you all on that side. But thanks to my translator and through a lot of stress, I do have the direct email and, as far as I can understand, confirmation that writer Shoji Yunomura will be interviewed for the book, too. For those hey. who somehow don't know who that is or <laughs> can't pin the name to something... The most prolific thing that Shoji Yonamura wrote was Episode Zero, The First Contact. Which, yes. as we know, is a favorite of Natalie's. So, that's Heck, nice. I'm that's excited because it's coming out in April on Blu-ray, so it's like... Yes, it is. I, I'm honestly, I honestly think I'm just going to take the day off when it comes to my house. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, obviously, once I get it in my hands, I have to watch it and then write a, you know, uh, like I've put off the review for it because I'm like, well, the dub's coming out. I want to have that, you know, when I talk about it, because mm -hmm. I need to know how do you dub the hamburger scene in English? How do yeah, you make exactly. that work in English? And <laughs> that I, I think I'm curious the, about. I think that is the biggest question of everybody for the dub, and also the the really gay line at the end, which I love the whole. I just want to take your hat off someday. I know like some people are like, how is this dubbed? And I'm like, I I'm asking it too. So, well, given the fact that I, I can almost guarantee Epcar probably wrote the translation depends on where he leans towards how they had you know, translate mm -hmm. certain dialogue. Mm -hmm. Although the, the, the subtle racism in one scene should probably be toned down in the dub. I hope so. Yeah. yeah. Probably. We'll see. <laughs> 
<laughs> Again, yeah, if you dude. remember, if you remember our Christmas um, episode, you guys, uh, I was not shy in talking about um, how a lot of the dub the, of part two was just stunningly racist in the um, in the choice of accents. So I'm hoping it's gotten better, but <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sure they're going to have people of color portray the people of color in episode zero my more my concern more is just with some things that zenigata says in such scene yeah mm-hmm. i hope they change because Me that's too. a that's a bit of a collar tug right there yeah <laughs> it's a bit of a collar tug a teeth clincher you know mm. <laughs> yes, we're, ta- we're talking part six part Indeed. six and uh the newest episode now can I can I yell over this episode real quick and said I fucking called yeah. it? <laughs> like I legit went on well, fucking we, Twitter and was like called it. <laughs> we get ahead of everyone, you know, just, just get, go right into the big old twists. <laughs> what did we? <laughs> uh, I I I enjoy, I'm enjoying this particular part more than the Sherlock arc. They. Mm-hmm really fumbled the ball with that one and i'm Mm -hmm. ever so disappointed even like racking my brain because obviously i'm gonna have to review part six for the book so i have to collect you know my thoughts and all right what am i gonna say what am i gonna talk about let's just say as far as the mainline series go that one so far doesn't have the best rating and that really stems from its very poorly executed first arc and so far it's really good second one but as far as what we know from how this one ends and what's to follow it, this part six to me has just been Sisyphus. They keep rolling up the boulder only for it to roll all the way back down and start rolling it back up. It's like, yep. Why? Why do you do this? This like is this, a great analogy, this... actually. <laughs> Good. It's going to be in the book then. <laughs> I was beta testing it on you, the audience. <laughs> no, um, but... when you said no, when you said that, I was like, honestly, that is a great analogy because I've been using the damn cold chicken mm. nuggy theory, but you said it more <laughs> you said it more eloquently than I could. So, <laughs> yeah, and you're like you know the bibliophile, like you're you're the Big, you're the English teacher of, of this tr- of this trio here, so I'll, I will um, take that in stride. <laughs> I pay. But it, it's it's been good. Like the, uh, I, I'm liking this story a lot. You know, the mm-hmm. Tomoe mystery is actually engaging. Uh, hell, even with this episode alone, Yada had some time to shine, which I think was really deserved because he's kind of mm-hmm. just been a backseat cop for a mm-hmm. while so it's nice to actually see him thank you you know be a cop <laughs> yep. and chris has some Ari feelings who... about this um Does green he? jacket chris <laughs> actually i don't and that's the problem <laughs> <laughs> i was like you know because i don't i don't have a problem with i don't have a problem with yada as a character in fact i i like when zenigata has like you know backup of some form. Like, I think that's why a lot of us love Cagliostro or the first is we like to see him with other police to help him. Cause mm-hmm. it's, it's capturing Lupin and his gang is not a task that one man can handle. So it's always good in theory that he should have backup, right? Like he's, mm-hmm. he's a top member of the force. He should have people in that line of work, aiding him in the quest. And, 
you know, we, we, we've got Ari, the new, the newest member who I've been iffy about because I worry about them falling into, you know, like I'm, I don't hate what they're doing with her. Like the implications of kind of sort of seeing if she and Yada are going to be a thing. Mm-hmm. But deep down, I was like, please don't go this path because I just want two characters who are male and female who don't have to be a love interest. Because it felt like, is she just here to become Yada's love interest? Because I don't mm-hmm. think that's right because I, I think she should be a capable cop in and of herself. I mean, Which she, ha- she did prove. They did. That's that's why I like this episode is because you know they did really push that sentiment like, okay, you, you are actually really emphasizing that she doesn't need Yada to protect her and that she is fully arguably a little bit of a better cop than him because she flipped a guy (laughs) a la la Zeni Goddess style and well as we learned um, I'm sure if you're listening to this podcast you all have watched this episode but uh, (laughs) the plot thickens with more of Tomoe's children Mm -hmm. uh, uh, quote children and apparently Ari was one of them and okay, I, I was not expecting that. <laughs> Dead ass. And I'm, I'm, I'm loving this part. I The only thing that has me bitter, and it's not even involving the episode, because I think the episode and the first part to it have been very solid. But the fact that they're following this up with a Fujiko one-off, which I am all for a Fujiko one-off. Mm-hmm. But can you please put Finish this the story line. <laughs> not Finish now. the storyline. <laughs> It's getting good. Exactly. Like, again, with my Sisyphus analogy, it's like, you were already almost at the top of the hill. What the f*** happened? Like, (laughs) you were doing so great, and now you're disappointing me again. Yeah, it's basically like a television version of, and I hate using this term, it's... It's television edging at this point. Like, there's a payoff for us to finish the storyline, but they're not letting us fucking release. Like, I'm sorry. I don't know how yeah. else to come no, up with no, an you, analogy. You are, it's you not, are correct. It's not really That's, much fun, though. Yeah. I mean, we, I, I would have lent you my Sisyphus analogy if you were worried about ostracized, you being ostracized, but whatever. But it's I, out there now. It escaped your lips, and now it's out in the ether of the ethernet. <laughs> At least it's not as dirty sounding as some other words, but no, sure. it's just like we 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 want that. It's like when I watch Desperate Housewives, and my biggest issue, as much as I love Desperate Housewives, my biggest issue was always like they had the core storyline of the mystery to f- to mm. fulfill twenty four episodes with, but as soon as you get to something really good to find out about the mystery, oh, we get filler, and it's like. No, I don't want this. I want to know what happens. And, and I don't <laughs> so. understand the. It, it's just the placement of the episodes that has been driving me nuts. I yep. yeah. Yep. The 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 Sherlock arc was botched, seemingly from the get go. Like it, it took us until the whole thing came out and me rewatching it a couple times where I went, yeah, no, this was just this was just fucked before it could even like the filler didn't help it. But even when you take the filler out, it's like, no, this is kind of lackluster. I could talk about this with Lauren and uh, some other mutuals in my server that the thing about the Sherlock arc in retrospect is it feels like a special that they just chopped up. Like mm-hmm. the story mm-hmm. of Lupin versus Sherlock Holmes is a great premise for a TV special. 
But I, there's a part of me that feels like, what if it was going to be a special? And because they aren't really doing that anymore, they're kind of focusing entirely on anime series as opposed to the specials that maybe they were like, hey, you know what? We have a 50th anniversary. The series are more popular than the specials. Why don't we just take the special, chop it up into a couple parts, put it into a series or whatever? Because it's it, for, in contrast to the new part, it's like part one. It's so tonally different, like two completely different shows in one package. Mm-hmm. And I don't really love it. Although part one has its strengths, because even though both parts of part one, which is such a tongue twister to say <laughs> but both parts are drastically different both have their pros and cons and are infinitely entertaining mm-hmm. part six on the other hand i don't see myself revisiting the first half and uh, so far with the second half i'll probably rewatch it but i'll omit some episodes just so that the meat and potatoes are on my plate the essentials that i need like i'm interested in the tomoe story that's engaging that mm-hmm. I'm invested in. I don't give mm-hmm. a shit about whatever Fujiko's doing in a church or Goemon's <laughs> doing with a fashion model, as great episodes as they are. So they go, these are a distraction. I do not need these right now. We can do these later. <laughs> indeed. Indeed. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> I think those are my long-winded thoughts. I have opinions, clearly. <laughs> no such thing as long-winded on long-winded on this podcast. Not no. at all. And uh, um, to uh, continue our roundtable discussion, Natalie, how did you feel about the episode? I fucking called it. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm sorry. I love it when I'm right. Um, and and the thing, you know, I mentioned this when I was in Switzerland with Guillaume that one of the things I enjoyed about hanging out with Guillaume was that he's very good at pinpointing what happens in a, in a TV show or a movie. Um which was shown to me when, when we were watching something that wasn't Lupin together. I'm kind of the same way. And this is just years of like reading books. And also when, when you study theater, you're forced to learn a lot of like tropes and stories and in plays and in film and whatever medium you want to talk about. And I, and I had a feeling because, you know, this overarching storyline is about Tomoy and the women, you know, we we thought with the promotional stuff that it was like the women and you know the Lupin and his relationship with other different women, but clearly mm-hmm. the women that are part of the storyline are Tomoy's children, and that does make you're right, um, Red Jacket Chris. It does make for compelling storytelling because it is meat and potatoes. But I did have this feeling like why are we putting emphasis on this Matea girl and why are we putting emphasis on Ari? They have to be part of the Tomoy family quote-unquote and i figured like i i had a feeling that this very moe girl was (laughs) was something was pretty diabolical and i got my answer like i even i went back i I dm'd guillaume and i was like i was right i knew it i knew that bitch was shady i knew she was shady from episode one she's shady so would you say that she is toe moe uh is Go get out of here. That, that made a lot more sense before I said it. Forget I say anything. <laughs> but, but with Ari, I wasn't surprised that she was a pupil of Tomoy's, but it was a very different direction. Again, Lupin, thief. Um, Hazel, um, politician. 
kind of hand in hand in terms of, of a corruptible um, persona. <laughs> I see. Oh, I just uh, I just ate my words. ICPO inspector Ari trained by Tomoe. OK, that just answered my question right there. But <laughs> um, <laughs> I just hope they didn't refrigerate her in this episode, especially because I agree with everybody. I don't want as much as I think it is cute for Yada to have somebody no, don't develop a relationship with them. The mm-hmm. other thing that disappointed me with Yada, with the Zenigata Yada Ari thing, is just that um, I was hoping for something a little bit more elaborate to get Zenigata out of prison, and it just felt very quick. It felt very quick and um, not very intricate as much as I wanted it to be. But then again, you know, you can only feel so much in a 30 minute episode when you're trying to show that, oh, Ari knew from the get go, Matea, Matea be shady. <laughs> so I think, yeah, I don't think we expect Zenny Gata to have some kind of escape plan. That's a Lupin thing. N- no, I didn't expect him to have an escape plan at all. I just expecting something a little bit more, a little bit more than what we got for Yada to prove that for Yada to be um, to exonerate Zenigata or, or even Lupin to come back and exonerate Zenigata. Yes, he did help from, from far away, but I was just kind of hoping for a little bit more, but that's just me. I still enjoyed it. Don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. especially that ending. So yeah, I'm shutting up now. <laughs> <laughs> and so green jacket, Chris, how did you feel about this episode? Actually, I'm a bit more black jacket today, but that is true. I actually took notes this week. Hey, <laughs> he did his homework. He did his homework. <laughs> ah! <laughs> first time for everything, huh? Yep. All right. Let's see. Uh, all right. First of all, I do want to point out this just really isn't in, in my notes, but I've expressed several times on here that I'm not the biggest fan of Yada. It's not that I dislike the guy. I just don't care at all. You know, I just I was going to compare him to Waluigi in my opinions on him, but no, I. <laughs> Like I said, I don't dislike Waluigi. <laughs> or I mean, I don't dislike Yana. Sorry, sorry. Except, except. <laughs> no, I definitely Good dislike Waluigi. That's neither here nor there. Sorry. Today's been a long week. Anyway. Um, but yeah, it's just like, you know, I've, I've said before, Yana doesn't have much in the way of characterization. And I do think this episode, I don't want to say went a long way with it, but it helped. Like he actually felt like a character this time and not just, you know, a prop. Same thing with Ari. You know, now I think about it. Because I said recently that to me, Yana felt like an attempt to solve a problem that did not exist before. Like they had to create the problem in order to create Yana to solve it. And so, you know, I, get, I feel like whenever you mess with like that, the dynamic of the main five characters, it usually rubs me the wrong way. But let's see. I do like how when, uh, when they're confronted you know, by those thugs in the alley. Or even before that, Yada being really impatient and combative about, about you know, Zenigata being in prison. I think the old man's rubbing off on him. And also, the way he dealt with those goons in the alleyway reminded me a little bit of first contact. I, I really liked how nonchalant Lupin and the gang were about the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Just like, Pops got arrested. He did? Yep. Next scene. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was kind of weird how uh, when Ari was talking about Tomoe, you know, at, at first she was blushing. Anybody else notice that? It was weird. Yeah. Yeah. 
She was like blushing slightly, and there's I, I can't think of a reason for it. I thought the whole thing with the paparazzo was interesting because he tries to defend himself, and you think they're trying to make him seem sympathetic, especially with his line about how this how he keeps food on the table. But then Yada gets ready to deck him, which I guess causes him to tag Re, and then she hits him with a steel chair. <laughs> she yep, she gave him the chair like a <laughs> WWE wrestler. <laughs> <laughs> Have a seat to your head. Um, I also thought the whole thing, like, after Zenigata got out, uh, like, the whole framing of that scene where he says, you know, you make a damn fine team, then walks off, that feels like foreshadowing for something that I hope does not happen. Like, it almost feels like they're kind of, like, setting, setting these two up to be, like, his replacement if he, he retires or whatever. And, oh, I hope I'm wrong. Yeah, I don't uh, think the, they're going to be that bold. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah no. oh God, I hope not. I hope not. <laughs> They'll they'll retire Yada and Ari long before they retire Zeni Yada. Yeah, like I mean that's what I'm thinking too. It's just that's just how like that's just how that scene felt to me. Again, I'm I'm probably wrong about it, and I hope I am. Uh, The scene with Ari and Yada on the bed, you know, some more teasing going on between them. Like that didn't bother me too much because they're drunk. Like it makes sense. I get it. Also, the bit where Yada is on the phone saying. The inspector is totally blowing his top at me for letting you go off on your own. But we don't have the animation budget to actually show him getting upset, so you have to take my word for it. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, they uh, have to spend it on the CGI cars. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I mean, you couldn't even show Papa getting into the car. It was all, it was all off screen. Yeah, I mean, the, the conversation between Ari and Matia was great. Although the fact that they gave Ari that, you know, Anime style side mouth was kind of distracting. We had the, I mean, the whole way that uh, Matia's demeanor shifted, you know, slowly and gradually. It's like, that was, that was so freaking cool. Mm-hmm. I, I really enjoyed that. Honestly, unlike you guys, I didn't see it coming. I was completely blindsided by it. But it makes sense, you know, in retrospect. And uh, this really isn't terribly related, but the bit where Yada is calling for help on his phone. Reminds me of the time that my brother was worried he would have to call an ambulance for his wife. And he wasn't sure what to say, so he, he thought he'd have to say something like, I'd like to order one ambulance, please, with everything. And also, it seemed like Lupin's becoming kind of meta-aware at the end, noticing the flowers. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's almost like he's like peering through like a window in the fourth wall or something. Like he knows those flowers symbolize something. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I like the episode. Yeah, The first half was nice. The second half got intense as all hell. Oh, yeah. Heck yeah. So I guess for me, man, the, the, the I liked last week's episode. If, if you listened last week, you know that I had not, not mixed opinions on it, but it was all like, I found Hazel incredibly boring and just the whole, or the whole stakes and everything to be a bit too realistic. And like, you know, I'm not going to get into it again, but like the, the whole kind of like super grounded nature of it kind of took me out of it after, you know, everything with Mercedes, because that was just wonderfully fun. You know, two thieves, one up each other, which was delightful to see. But this man, particularly the turn this took at the end really caught me by surprise because because there's that gradual build up, And then it's the moment when uh, Ari zooms in on the footage and sees the bracelet that was set up in the previous episode. And that's I was watching it with my girlfriend. We both just sat there and we're like. Is this going to like actually take a super interesting turn? I certainly hope so. And it does. 
man, this opens up like a lot of questions moving forward. And like one thing I noticed, I'm, I'm kind of scattershot right now, because one thing I noticed in particular during the um, kind of the, the final showdown between Ari and uh, Matea, there is a lot of focus on Ari's eyes, like frequently in that scene. Um, uh, you know, her reacting to, you know, Ari mentioning, you know, Tomoe being her instructor and all this. And this is me getting way too theory brain for it. But I looked at the episode previous and the two at the beginning of this arc. And like, I'm wondering how this is going to turn out. This could be nothing entirely. But there is like a concentrated effort to show in, uh, in all of Tomoe's flashback scenes. There is like a like a different, like it's either a bluish or a reddish color hue to it. And it is intentionally hiding Tomoe's eye color, specifically the close up in the bed when she's looking at Lupin saying, saying, you know, um, I consider all of my students, my children. Like that's a pretty close up shot. And in part six, consistently with the main gang, the close up shots have like shown like, you know, they actually have like distinct eye colors, which is pretty interesting, but her eyes are like entirely black in that flashback and like i'm i'm wondering if like is our is not our is matea possibly the actual child that was referenced in the last episode because obviously like the hook is you know lupine is like the immediate guess but i'm wondering if like if that might be the motivation if that's why she's picking off all of tomoe's students because you know you know, all the students get all the love, but the daughter just gets mentioned, like, you know, this little box or something. I don't know. It could be nothing, but it was out. It kind of stood out to me, and I haven't been able to stop thinking about it because now it's just kind of making my brain race. So, yeah, who knows? I, I don't know if they'll go the angle with Tomoe being... I was going to say, on that note, what color were Lily's eyes? Oh, God. Sorry, <laughs> I'd do it. <laughs> no, but piggybacking off you, Drew... Um... There is one line that Tomoe, you know, that one line that Tomoe says to everybody that, like, I think of my students as my children. Well, Mm -hmm. she added a caveat to that in this episode. And it was, you know, she said, I find I think of all my students as my children, but I would never um, I would never um, let my life be taken for them because they're not actually my children. Mm -hmm. And it. I don't know about you guys, but I do have a very close relationship with my own mother, um, it, particularly because it's pretty old school, but also I'm her only child. And a lot of the, a lot of our conversations have always been about like, when you become a parent, things are very different. Like my mother was a pretty reckless youth. Um, like she would tell me, you know, before I had you, I could go on a motorcycle um, without a helmet and and not think about my safety, not think about anything. But after I had you, I, I look at that motorcycle and think, no, because my life is, you know, my life is for you. My life is, my life is, you know, to be your mom and to protect you and to be there for you. I, I can't think of myself. I have to think about you. A mother's love is pretty strong. It's a pretty strong dynamic. So I get where Tomoe is coming from, but I wonder if they added that, that line and that caveat because, you know, she could die. She would totally die for Matea or was she that, you know, that kind of mom who didn't have that kind of connection with her own physical daughter. So that, that just sparked an interest to me from a personal perspective. Mm-hmm. Cause I was like, why are you mentioning that? Why are you saying this? 
I have a feeling this is going to come back. Have to wait and see. Because like, yeah, that's one thing I really appreciated about this arc that the Sherlock arc did occasionally is like there is setups (laughs) and payoffs in like these four episodes. Mm -hmm. Because like, you know, you've got stuff like the uh, I don't know, like the little ladybug um, uh, projector things in the first episode that paid off. In the second one, nicely. There's bits in this first part, like like uh, Matea's bracelet that paid off. You know, it's really nice when you clearly set something up and then have it pay off and not mm-hmm. have a tiny object appear on a poster for an old movie and then show up. Um, how many episodes? Like 12 episodes later and be like, oh, yeah, it was ordinance the whole time. I'm still I'm, I'm not bitter about the Sherlock versus <laughs> arc. I'm, I'm perfectly fine. It's OK. I remember making that realization would rewatch it is like oh Jigen notices the missile (laughs) (laughs) I mean I don't know I already I already said my piece um, during my travels about the Lupin versus Sherlock and I I do find this storyline more intriguing and more engaging than I did the first one Mm -hmm. and I I like the collective (laughs) no and I I like the collective shake of heads because you know again um, going back to what I mentioned about having a good friend who can identify these plot points, making me remember what I enjoy about about any medium of storytelling. And yeah, that that tropes get reused and redone, but how it gets reused and redone is the wonderful part. And the fact that now I'm remembering the, remembering that enjoyment and catching on because this is engaging for me. Mm-hmm. It's really making me think like, again, why does Tomoe have this caveat why is she talking about this are we getting to that physical child Matea has to be that physical child I think so but at the same time it's confirmed now that she is whether or not her daughter or one of her air bunnies daughters Matea was under the tutelage of Tomoe but also on that note does that make Mercedes Matea Ari like step siblings or siblings foster siblings of Lupin I don't know how you want to word it. <laughs> <laughs> One big happy family? Question mark? Not so happy considering, you know, uh, Matea's actions. Matea just almost she's, offed. She's, yeah. got, she's, got, she's got a bone to pick or two, you know. Um, but another thing I want to several, touch on. Given what she did to Ari. <laughs> <laughs> but speaking of Ari, that's another thing I wanted to touch on was, and it's already been mentioned a few times, but I'll add my piece to it. I am really glad a that Ari got to do something and actually have just a little bit of development because I also had the same worry that she was just going to be there to be a love interest for Yada. And I am also incredibly hesitant about, you know, the the little dinner scene in the last episode and the hotel room scene. Although, even though I don't approve of their union, much like the, uh, the first half of this series, Yata really fumbled the bag with that. You know, you're not quite an inspector yet. <laughs> I'll protect you. It's like, you idiot. <laughs> you Funniest thing moron. about that scene was when we were watching it in the server, the high dive player happened to just stop right after that line drop. It was like, did high dive just go... Dude! (laughs) 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 Funniest thing, like, it could not have been more perfect for High Dive to have a video load error was at that point, and everyone in the server was like, 
Oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you say that, you doofus. Yep. We'll chalk it up to the alcohol, but oh, my God. How, the, uh, yep. how not to talk to women yep. by Yada Garusa. This is a reference here. It's that, it's that quote from uh, the, uh, the Swan Princess. You know, you should really write a book. How to offend women in five syllables or less. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking the exact same thing. I love how you brought that up because I legit fell asleep to that film last night. So <laughs> It was fate. I... It was fate you watched that movie last night. Oh, Lord. I can't believe I did. Chris, you were going to say something? Uh, yeah. Um, going back a little bit to uh, Matia, something I thought was interesting was how, like, when we first met her, she seemed to be, like, you know, another Clarice type figure because you know i guess we don't have enough of those but then what happened this week just completely turned the hell out of that around which i thought was was dope mm-hmm. and i think that's one i think it's one reason why that whole thing took me by surprise because you know we were supposed to believe she was another sweet innocent damsel in the stress type thing you know for lupine to be like a, a fatherly or older brother type figure too nope she's a stone cold killer Hell yeah. flowers. It's always um, the quiet ones. <laughs> Again, the Moy trope, and it and and I quoted. I I watched it at work, and I was like, "Oh god, not another fucking Moe trope." And my friend, who is like a <laughs> physical embodiment of a Moe, who's also my coworker, was like, "I'm one of the good ones trying to save our reputation. What happened this time?" Because again, it's such a common trope in anime, and mm-hmm. uh, I digress. <laughs> But no, uh, uh, also on that train with uh, Yata and Ari, it was, I really appreciate after all this time, Yata's finally being more than the exposition man, which is all he was in part five. He had some really nice moments to shine (laughs) in Prison of the Past and then got quickly relegated Mm -hmm. to exposition man again for pretty much the entire Sherlock versus Holmes arc. And it was really in the... um, I forget the episode title, but the Goemon fashion show episode when he shows up and he's fangirling over everyone there. I'm like, oh my God, look, personality. Mom, look, new boy has personality for once. What a surprise. (laughs) character arc. Wow. He's he's a character. He's not just, you know, a tool. Like, I'm sorry. I mean, I mentioned my my own beef, not even beef, just my own grief with Yada, but... The only time that he was ever utilized well was Prison of the Past. And yeah, even in this episode, like, thank you for the characterization arc for fucking finally. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not really, it's like, not really an arc. It's just characterization. Exactly. exactly. And yeah. uh, the other instance was in the uh, the uh, the episode before this two-parter, the Wong Tick episode, where um, uh, just a little moment where Zinigata shows up, presents his bat. Well, Zinigata's like, you know, we're from the ICPO, <laughs> and then Yata's just like, it's like the big beaming it's like it's the little things but it went a long way considering he was just exposition like he should be the straight man to Zenigata but in part five and here Zenigata is already like the kind of stone face serious cops you got a straight man to the straight man and you got like Mm -hmm. a pretty much just pointless character it seemed like for a while until prison of the past where it actually gave him some like comedic dynamic with the gang which was nice Mm-hmm. Look, I already told you I will watch it. Okay, <laughs> you have to see it. No, you got it's, plans. It's this one weekend? of the better ones. Oh God, <laughs> that one's getting a rave review. Let me tell you, like that—that that is one of the better specials. It's a shame that, that, as it stands right now, 
that's one of the last specials they've produced so far. Yeah. Because Princess of the Breeze killed the annual special. It did. <sighs> I need more it, it, it kind of it, indirectly it did. That was the last special they ever did every year. And now yep. they've just been, eh, you'll get one when you get one. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm thankful that we're getting more content in the form of this, of series. Um, mm. But I do feel like part six is kind of like a congratulations on 50th anniversary. Here's a new series that we don't know where we're going with it in terms of storytelling for some elements. And I'm, I'm still oh, so thankful for it. Don't get me wrong. But the fact that like Princes of the Breeze killed the television special was just like, ouch. <laughs> Thanks a bunch. Thanks a bunch. Not Jesus. with a bang, but a whimper. No, with a whimper. Exactly. <laughs> with a whimper and a crying, terrifying baby. Yeah, I, I have I have only seen screens of Princess of the Breeze, and I know of its notoriety. But God it, help it's, you, it's on the list to watch. I'm not looking for. Well, I wrote a scathing review for Twilight Gemini, and I know As Princess of the Breeze's reputation, so I don't know. Yeah, maybe Princess of the Breeze will also get a scathing review. Depends on how I feel. But Lupin's eyes in that. I admire your tenacity of wanting to pay tribute to the Part One design. But it didn't work. No. <laughs> it did not work with. And I, I looked into it recently. It was like, who is in charge of the of the look of the special? I want a name. I want someone to blame. <laughs> I looked at the person who did the the animation direction and the character designs. It was the same person. I click on their name. They worked on Death Note, and everything made sense. <laughs> oh God! Yeah. I didn't even realize oh. that. Oh, every oh, Jesus. Even like yeah, Lupin's- it makes sense now, doesn't it, oh. Drew? Wait until you watch it. When you see Lupin's first appearance in that, it is a <laughs> shot where it pans up from his legs and he's lit from behind, and his eyes are glowing. It is terrifying, and it should not be terrifying. It's supposed to be like it's Lupin. You're just like, uh, <laughs> I don't feel good about this because <laughs> you know, obviously not knocking Death Note. It's one of my favorite series, but oh yeah, the look of Death Note is unique to death note exactly don't don't pay don't do that look for lupon lupon <laughs> has a distinct look that you shouldn't be straying too far away from mm-hmm. otherwise it looks weird it's off-putting and it sucks <laughs> and it can sometimes be scary <laughs> yes especially in that case yes, yes again i'm getting ready to go for hot pot so um <laughs> yeah Sorry, I love you guys, but I love free food more. <laughs> <laughs> I won't take it personally. Nah, it's all good. Lupin just swept her away. <laughs> <laughs> um, let me just, um, real quick, in the three minutes that I got, I'll just say my final thoughts and then I'll log off, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, like this episode, I cannot, I'm... My personal feelings is it was a great conclusion. I don't like the edging part of it. I want to know what happens. I yes, laugh. I called it edging. Laugh. I at will it. laugh. That is a funny analogy. Um, fucking called it with Matea. Um, still wondering why Tomoe is talking about how much she loves her children. But I am looking forward to this next filler episode where we see chaotic Lupin typing with his toes. <laughs> that's that's a skill if I ever needed one. It is indeed. <laughs> so basically what you're saying is Tomoe um, will do anything. Burlo- but, but, um, I mean, 
Try that again. <laughs> so what you're saying is Tomoe would do anything for love, but she won't do that, is what you're saying. No. Yeah, she's basically <laughs> Meatloaf Mama. <laughs> <laughs> meatloaf Mama. I mean, I, I would I think the Fujiko episode would be great. I just wish it wasn't the immediate follow-up to that <laughs> enormous cliffhanger. Yep. No, agreed. It's just like, oh my god, it's getting so good. Oh, fuck. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Like, yeah, I'll, as vulgar as it is, I'll agree, I'll, I'll agree with that. Like, yeah, it is edging. I was so <laughs> close to concluding <laughs> and you had to stop immediately. And I could tell this is going to be a good know? one, damn it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's here it's here oh you know, all right look i'll say this much jegan sure is not the only thing that's blue right here <gasps> <laughs> well done, sir. congratulations we've now made the worst episode of sideburns and cigarettes ever <laughs> and to that i say you're welcome <laughs> Losing listeners every day. No. <laughs> <laughs> losing the right listeners in this case. Uh, Edging and blue balls. No way. Come back. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah. Where, 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 where can we find you on the, uh, the internet? When I'm not talking dirty. Oh, wait. I talk dirty a lot on Twitter. You can find me on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> at cap c-a-p-l-i-h-e-double-l-s-i-n-g can also find me on instagram but i put myself in instagram jail because i'm very dirty and i have family on there <laughs> at captain c-a-p-t-a-i-n-l-i-h-e-double-l-s-i-n-g revel in all my dirty jokes good night <laughs> <laughs> so back to the edging um <laughs> That's a hell of a segue, Drew. <laughs> I hope that's not the, the name of this episode. Like, you know, back on edging. <laughs> I mean, it, pro- it probably wasn't, but it is now. I might just call this episode the edging of Sisyphus. <laughs> just, just to draw eyes you know to it. Fine, I, I 100%, I 100% approve of the edging of Sisyphus. <laughs> but um, uh, back on that topic, yeah, the um. I am looking forward to the adventures of Fujiko and this, this, this new, this new, you know, she, she was included on the poster in the teaser, this new lady who's being introduced, but why now? Like we just, we just had three one-offs that were delightful. They were fine. And like, there, there was a nice like ending point after the first two episodes where like, I was fine with some one-offs, but now you get a two-parter. With a gigantic cliffhanger and a massive reveal, and just like, eh, don't pay no attention. Let's go over here. Isn't is this a, like, isn't this a fun little adventure? And it's like, yes, I'm sure it will be in isolation when I revisit this and like just pick a one off to watch. But it, 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 it's honestly, it's interesting because like it's the exact opposite uh, relationship I had with the first half of the series, where I was looking forward to the one-offs more than I was the actual story, because at least those were doing weird shit <laughs> and not boring me half to death. Whereas in this one, it's like I like the one-offs; they're nice, they're fun, but they they come at the worst moment. And yes, I know <laughs> we got the, the they literally. <laughs> Well, not literally, but you know, they they come in just to cock block the whole goddamn thing. Exactly, especially it's, right now. And uh, 
I I couldn't find myself when it when it was airing. Like I can't judge how this arc is going because I don't know where it's going. So it's mm-hmm. like I want to like it, so exciting about but it. I'm not in yeah, but I'm not enthralled as much as I should be because mm-hmm. Lupin versus Sherlock Holmes should be a fucking blast. Yep, and it's it not. Yeah. It's a fucking. Sherlock doesn't even really do Sherlocky things. Like no. when he does, it's just kind of it's like, twice. like I, th- I think I think we had talked about it, or maybe it was talked about on the show. But so much of that story is not using the strengths of the characters because they're they're both really intelligent people, and there's never them like solving the mystery together or supplying clues to the other. Mm-hmm. It's just exposition. explaining what's happening and then showing it. And then that's, it's like this, you know, people give the, the cover bat Sherlock a hard time. It's like, Oh, you you don't actually watch him do this. He just explains. It's like, but at least it still kind of felt like you were part of an investigation. Like there, there was still some level of intrigue and investment. Mm -hmm. There was nothing in the Lupin versus Sherlock thing. I nope. think Sherlock only had like one case you saw and you didn't even really see it. You just saw him have the resolution to the case. Yep. Not the build up, not the suspense, none of it. It was just, here he is. Oh, he solved it. All right, moving on. <laughs> it wasn't fun. And I don't know no. if it just has to do with maybe they don't know how to write Sherlock Holmes. Maybe there's still some things under copyright that they have to tiptoe around. I don't know. That's possible. The, the Doyle estate is uh, terrible. Uh. <laughs> oh, they're, they are absolutely greedy. Yeah. I was I was thinking uh, Draconic, but yeah, terrible and greedy works well. <laughs> <laughs> terrible and greedy. It's, it's in layman's terms. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. Emphasis on the lame. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, it, because I hated uh i say hated because like oshi's uh one-offs i absolutely detested not because they were poorly made because they're not but they don't with the story they were telling they're such a whiplash they are so tonally inconsistent with everything else that's going on it's like these are cool ideas i don't think they're cool lupon ideas and that was the problem i had because oshi is a brilliant brilliant artistic mind you know, Ghost in the Shell, Angel's Egg. Uh, uh, oh, God, I just blanked on one of his other ones. But, you know, he he's he's brilliant at what he does. And you can very clearly see in both those uh, one-offs, he is still a brilliant, like, filmmaker. But they're not good Lupin episodes. They are really good art, but they have no relevance. And I, other than the 50th anniversary thing, which is novel, especially with, you know, oh, she almost had a Lupin. Mm-hmm. I still don't know if I would have liked his Lupin because Legend of the Gold of Babylon is already a goddamn mess. I love it, but it's a mess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> was it, was it, and, I think I think we ended up getting a lot of uh, Oshi's concepts for his movie in the uh, Darwin's uh, Bird episode. We, a little uh, bit. Allegedly, a lot of the aspects of what his Lupin film was going to be were recycled for Angel's Egg. Yep. Right, and also that uh, Pat Labor movie he did. The first one, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, which, yeah. Yeah. It's, 
it would have been like apparently it had something to do with like Lupin would have been aware that he was in a movie. He would have stolen yep, the right. film at the end or something like Thief of the Cobbler, <laughs> which is like <laughs> okay, um, th- that'd be kind of a neat visual. I, mm-hmm. I that I can't say that's a bad idea, but I also don't know because it never came out, and instead it was a you know Seijun Suzuki uh, film, and you know that guy is a. That guy's bonkers. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm going to uh, I'm going to respectfully disagree with you on uh, Oshi stuff because mm. both uh, uh, Darwin's Bird and The Killers in the Diner are are among my favorite episodes of Part Six. Mm-hmm. I I enjoyed them both, and honestly, I feel like that kind of how much more here experimental approach. It's it's something that I feel like this franchise has been needing for quite a while. Cause like, I feel like like part four was like a return to form. Mm-hmm. Part five was, uh, the road to hell was paved with good intentions. <laughs> and then, That's a good way to put it. Then, Elegantly, beautifully <laughs> put. That is, that is perfect. And then, you know, with, you know, with part six, it's like, you know, they're trying out new stuff and it may not always work, but, mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't fail as hard as Part Five did as a whole. No, and you know, I, yeah. you know, I, I don't, I don't mind, I don't mind the one-offs going in weird directions. Mm-hmm. You know, now if the if the entire series so far was like, uh, you know, Darwin's Bird, then yeah, I, I, I wouldn't be down for that. But, mm-hmm. but you know, I, it, it's and I it's do, uh, commendable that they are experimenting. Mm-hmm. Although yeah. I think it would have been, especially with the fiftieth anniversary angle. I honestly think part six, I don't even think they should have done a part six. I think they should have just done an anthology series because they kind of sort of clearly wanted to do that by getting so many different writers and directors on board who obviously are all going to have completely different ideas of what to do. Why try and make a narrative out of it when you could just simply do a bunch of one-offs that have their own tones, their own interpretations of the characters that would have been far more interesting, mm-hmm. and in my it honest would've. opinion, would have been a better 50th anniversary celebration of Agreed. the series to do that. The whole literary thing, you know, that would have been really, you know, it probably would have been better explored that way than it would be the way we mm-hmm. got it. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe 100%. like the whole Sherlock Holmes like, thing and like, maybe like, maybe like, like two episodes instead of the whole through line. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that's, that's part of part six's problem is the... Yeah. It, it has an identity crisis. It wants to do all these things and ergo, it's just, it, it, it appeals to almost nobody. And it, yep. obviously we're still invested and we're enjoying it, but because of the mixed bag aspect of the too many cooks in the kitchen and TMS, I'm going to assume speculation TMS still wanting to be, well, we want a story. We want a structure. Mm-hmm. you can't have your cake and eat it too in this case like if yep. you're going to get all these different minds involved who are all going to have completely different ideas and you're going to give them carte blanche you have to restrain that if you still want to keep it well we want a narrative to go on mm-hmm. no either have a narrative and stick to a group of writers who stick to the narrative you know a la the mcu or you just say fuck it, let's just get a bunch of creative people. They can make their own 30-minute Lupin specials, essentially, like little shorts, one-offs. We'll package that together. It's a 50th anniversary. Whatever. It Mm -hmm. should have been an anthology. The series has never done that. And it's the perfect format 
to do it in because we've had 50 years of different interpretations, you know, funny ones, serious ones, ridiculous ones, success and failures. Celebrating all of that would have been extremely poignant if they instead made it an anthology series instead of a linear show. Mm -hmm. So I think that would have made it a stronger case. And honestly, probably could have potentially made it one of the best series in the franchise had, Mm -hmm. had they committed, but I think they got cold feet. I I, purely speculation, but I think they maybe thought that could have worked, but got cold feet and thought, no, 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 no. It's got, it's gotta be a series. Mm -hmm. And it's such a mess. And I I am enjoying, I enjoy the series. I'm still watching, you know, I've not jumped ship. (laughs) I can't, (laughs) but I can't help but feel a little disappointed with the way it's been handled, especially Mm -hmm. since the second half has been really good, especially with its placement of one-offs, but throwing one right in the middle of one of the biggest cliffhangers the series has had. (sighs) No bueno. I I, I can't sit well with that. No. So come back to what you were suggesting about TMS. Do you think that could be just like a, uh, you know, like a problem with the uh, anime industry in general, I guess it's like, Oh, oh, absolutely could. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking. Because yeah. like I feel like there's no, I mean uh, there's, there are a lot of problems there, yeah. Like especially with yeah. the work conditions and such. But well, yeah, well, that, yeah that, but, that's possible. But I mean like you know, I feel like the trend, you know, is less for you know, done in one uh standalone episodes and more so for a uh, you know, a through line that runs the entire twenty six episodes of a series. Mm-hmm. And it's like you said, I think feel like TMS is trying to you know, do what everybody else is doing in that sense. But they also want to do the standalones because that's what the final third spread and butter has been, mm-hmm. you know, for the last 55 years. You know, because the manga yeah. was mostly one shot. Yeah. But <laughs> that's um, true. I think like the warning sign of some, something like this happening and like, is I, I like some of the one-offs in it, but part five was like the first kind of big warning sign of this happening because like, I don't know. It felt like they were also trying to do the same thing there. We're like, we want to tell this big narrative story, but we also want to do, you know, like we bring in the writer of Final Fantasy VII and this person and this person to do like, you know, we ask them, what does Lupin mean to them? And like, that was nice because at least, at least I'll say for, in part five's defense, even though I've got some big critiques with it, at least it's arcs. Oh, as do I. At least it's arcs got to breathe and flow. And yes. start and conclude. Yes, we we've talked about that, Drew. Is that they yep. actually paced it better? Because yep. you know, I have, this, for the most part, I think I have the same issues with part five as you do. But mm-hmm. at least we can give credit where credit's due. They knew it's like, all right, end of that arc. Here's some one-offs. Here's the next arc. End of arc. Here's some one-offs. Like it was mm-hmm. paced beautifully. Yep. It all culminated in a terrible finale, but yeah. it was at least paced correctly. <laughs> yep. And, and I was on board with that pace until the ending, because you had the first two arcs. Mm-hmm. Um, there was like, th- there was one or two one-offs between each one. By the time the third arc ended, there were four one-offs in a row. And you're like, all right, there was a lot that's been set up here. When's this going to end? And then the four episode final arc hit the ground running and then fell down immediately. And then for three more episodes, we just watched it slide across the pavement after it fell down and get horribly mutilated. And it was tough to look at. <laughs> <laughs> I like, 
You couldn't look away. <laughs> I, I feel like I feel like you kind of got a metaphor button. <laughs> and now with part six, it's less, you know, it's less having good pace and then falling down at the very end. And it's just now become quap for like the first half of just trying <laughs> to run. <laughs> and then sometimes, you know, like it had, you know, it had, it looked like it was taking a step forward, but then immediately crumpled. I'm going to get really petty about the first half of part six. As far as I'm concerned, and this is just for me personally, the Lupin versus Holmes arc just does not exist for me in this. It's five episodes <laughs> out of 19 so far. For me, the first half of part six was experimentation with literary themes. Wasn't that interesting? You know, like, you know, all these books that weren't written by Arthur Conan Doyle. It was really nice, you know. It was a little mixed from time to time, but you know. But with 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 this half of it so far, I've liked how it's paced better because the first two episodes had some, it, like, it had a nice hook, and then the second episode concluded, you know, with the showdown with Mercedes, Lupin being like, you know, we're going to go find Tomoe, and then there were three one-offs that were like generally pleasant, kind of classic Lupin episodes. And I'm kind of glad because, oh god. With the, like, I'm sorry for being really scattershot here, but with the Lupin versus Holmes thing, there were two episodes that set up a narrative, had a nice hook at the end, and there were four one-offs that were drastically different that just completely like threw you for a loop. And then at episode mm-hmm. seven, we get exposition in the episode, and like. Uh, and then after that, there were how many more one-offs were there? Were there three or four or more? And it was just all. It, it, there was no room for anything to breathe at all. You got a nice hook, five episodes of interesting experimentation, like by itself, but as part of this main thing, what the hell are you doing? And with this one, we've got, what was it? It was three one-offs after the Mercedes, the, 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 the Mirage women was the title of that one. And those are generally nice. And then we got this two-parter that really let the main story breathe. Now, like, how many one-offs are there going to be before we get back to which versus to, to which and gentlemen? Which is like th- that's my roundabout way of saying I'm nervous about what's going to happen moving forward. Because is mm-hmm. it just going to be this Fujiko one-off, or is it going to be? Oh God, I hope not. Like three more one-offs, and then concluding with a two-parter. Which please. No, I have more. I, I, I do have God, more faith. If, if the end of this Fujiko one has it, I'm going to flip a table where it's like, here's yeah, another one off. No, fuck you. <laughs> fuck you. I am not doing this shit. I will dead ass wait it out yep. on, and, and then watch it because I am sick of this. <laughs> I was going to say, you're in too deep at this point. You got to finish yeah. it eventually. You can't just drop it. Of course, you got to finish. I have a book to write, Chris. I have to finish <laughs> <laughs> I am in too deep. That's the deepest you can get. <laughs> I owe a manuscript. <laughs> and the bastards know it. That's the thing. They knew you were going to write this book. They're taunting exactly. you. They, they they're expect stealing, it. They're stealing Natalie's fan fiction and they're taunting you. We're being targeted. By, <laughs> we're being targeted by TMS. Allegedly. Allegedly. Indeed. Allegedly. In case they're, in case they're listening. And, they, and then they're going after my taste and bespectacle women. They got out for all of us. 
Fuck no, they don't too much. They're listening to this call right now. Oh God! <laughs> <laughs> hey, if you're listening, where's that next Koike movie at? I, I hope not soon because I don't want to have to put that in the book. <laughs> this is true. For your sake, I'm, next I'm, year. <laughs> like, yes, please, please let Lupin rest for the rest of the year because you've got part six. Let me get this book out before it becomes dated. Because <laughs> trust me. I'll do revisions. <laughs> <laughs> Pray to God this isn't the year 2019 when they were like, oh yeah, so it's 2019. So, uh, uh, what was it? What was it? Uh, no, Goodbye Partner was 2018. It's not 2019 where they're like, oh, by the way, so Fujikos Lie, was the first uh, Prison of the Past. <laughs> oh no. Yeah, Prison of the Past 2019. Part yeah, 5 and 2019. It was a hell of a year. <laughs> but that that is my hope is like, please put all your eggs in the part six basket. I don't like these eggs. They're spoiled, but <laughs> just put them all in this basket so I can write this one out, be done, turn in the manuscript because I already have 58 of these goddamn things to write about. <laughs> and I'm not, I'm not where I wanted to be, but I'm, I'm okay at the very mm-hmm. least. Like I'm after, because right now I'm working on the first review, which, which has been taxing because that's a lot to cover and mm-hmm. also it's one of the few in the book that has a four star rating because so i don't really hand those out but i honestly think the first is a four star movie mm-hmm. and upon the third the movie the first the rating exactly <laughs> exactly I, I will i will print that i will i will put that in there <laughs> <Christ> <laughs> and sideburns and cigarettes <laughs> no it's because like, uh the the, conf- the conflict of interest has been of what what are fair ratings for these for people who don't know what any of this shit is? Mm-hmm. And, I, and I genuinely think, no, this is a good film to start with. Ironically, it's called The First. So <laughs> it should be The First to start with, just to get an idea of what this franchise is. Part six, uh, st- you know, <laughs> pray. Uh, pr- pray and, and stick with it. Things are going to get better, I, I hope. We, we, it is kind of unfortunate that this is the immediate follow-up from the first mm-hmm. of like things we've gotten from Lupin. Because yep. the first was such a phenomenal achievement, you know, from, from a technical standpoint, from, in my honest opinion, a narrative standpoint for the series, because it, it kind of waned a bit. Prison Prisoner of the Past is still really good, but the first is phenomenal in, in its execution. Mm-hmm. But, and, and I know it's, I you know, want to make this... Uh, not sound too you know depressing but there is the unfortunate aspect of the first was really the last project uh kato-san or monkey punch had some hands on you know he mm-hmm. you know was looking over the process was very excited to see it unfortunately passed away before it came out part six is the first lupon thing without monkey punch around mm. and that unfortunately comes with a lot of of asterisks with mm-hmm. that realization of how is Lupin going to be looking forward post passing of Monkey Punch? So far, not great, <laughs> not <laughs> bad, but not great. And I, it, it's kind of hard to not because it's not like he was a thousand percent involved in these productions. I mean, he always gave his approval on things, and well, it's not like Lupin hasn't had bad properties while he was alive. But it is a very unfortunate realization when you go, oh, this is the first thing they've done without Monkey Punch 
uh, you know, with us. And what are they going to do with this franchise with without him around? I don't know because this is not screaming confidence for me right now. Mm-hmm. I, I want well, it to be a fluke and things pick back up later. Maybe some new specials, maybe another movie, hopefully a 3D one. <laughs> but Please. yeah, I, I, it, it is an unfortunate thing to to realize that uh, first project without him, and this is it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I do think it's worth pointing out that Monkey Punch was always seemed like he was really cool with pretty much anything that they did. With, oh yeah, yeah, you know, with his work, you know, animating. You know, I felt like the impression I always got from the guy was that, you know the manga was his thing. And it was like, mm-hmm. whenever it came to adapting it, it's just like, don't care what you do as long as it's fun. Yeah. You know, which and, is very noble, a, a very noble stance to take. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, he always seen what's the word I'm looking for here. Pretty easy going about the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, it's like you pointed out, it's like there have been worse things in part six, even the first half. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, <laughs> So I'm hoping I'm hoping the second half of part six is more of a barometer of what's to come. Yeah. I don't want it to be a bad omen, I think is my point. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is it's very unfortunate. It is that timing. unfortunate realization. Exactly. Just, you know, it is the if, timing of it. If nothing else, it's getting better. This is true. Oh, yeah. we, we hope there are signs. <laughs> we hope this this better not be a string of one offs. I swear to God, I'm gonna drive <laughs> down to TMS and have some polite words. <laughs> A very, a very strongly worded letter from, from uh, signed Drew, Chris, and Green Jacket Chris. <laughs> <laughs> just, I just want to talk. Here is a piece of string. You know what to do with it. <laughs> it's, it's like the first act of business is to get TMS to pay for having your car dried out. So you, know, you had to drive overseas. <laughs> He took a biplane, <laughs> Lupin style. Second order of business: apologize for green versus red. Um, <laughs> and part oh, five, Drew, and Twilight Gemini. You have to bring up green versus red every time I'm here. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, I'm, <laughs> you have okay. to feel this pain with me. It haunts me every time oh, I think about Lupin. Yeah, fair. <laughs> okay, okay. Look, instead of focusing on green versus red, focus on green and red. The two Chris's here. Hey, exactly. exactly. See, I agree and with Green Jacket, Chris. So, Focus on the good green and, and red. Speaking right of on. the good green and red here, I'm, uh, I figure we're just we're getting close to wrapping it up. But your your final thoughts on the episode as a whole, and where do you think we're going to go moving forward? Uh, red Jacket, Chris, what are you thinking? Well, I mean, I, I guess I kind of said that, but you know, yeah. Final thoughts. Love the story. The second half. I, I think I've made very clear. I'm very impressed with the second half of part six, way more than the first half was. I am still not in love with right now the, the placement of one-offs. As long as it's Fujiko and then right back to the story at hand, I, I'll let it slide. I'll still be irked, but I'll let it slide mm-hmm. because I'm very invested. And that, and that should say something because it's been a while since Lupin's had a story where I was this invested in seeing where it goes. It, it, it feels like a true crime, you know, murder mystery mm-hmm. and it's got me hooked. I'm loving it. Uh, at the very least, you, uh, part two has changed parts. Part two of, this is ridiculous. Part two <laughs> of part six <laughs> has changed 
my initial thoughts of this seems like a two, two and a half to at least a three as far as yeah. my star ratings are concerned. It's like, okay, the second half, really good. Like almost worth watching just for the second half. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I, I am liking it. And I am hoping that, you know, once this particular series is over and done with, you know, I, I am curious to see where we go next with Lupin. I honestly would like to see another uh, 3D CG film, possibly with Yamazaki-san at the mm-hmm. helm. I feel like there's no better person to do it. Or hell, just do another special. I, I like the bite size, you know, the window of, uh, you know, the viewing window of the gang more than a full commitment to a series. I've loved mm-hmm. the specials. Some of my favorite Lupin things are the specials. Same. And I think there's a lot of potential with that. So I, I, I'm wishing the best. You know, I have my issues with part six, but I'm wishing the best and do not wish any ill will toward any creatives involved. I will say I hold animosity toward executives who make poor decisions, but that is a different story Indeed. for a different time. <laughs> So, uh, Green Jacket Chris, how you feeling? Yes, dear. <laughs> Not bad yourself. Oh, about the episode. Um, <laughs> yeah, I uh, I have to agree with uh, you know my counterpart here. Uh, you know, I, th- I thought I thought the first half was a lot of fun. Then the second, like I said before, the second ha- the second half got intense as hell. I was you know completely intrigued. Boy, it's a weird sentence, but yeah, I'm I'm also really excited to see where it goes. Although I am wondering if, uh, because we really haven't seen much of Fujiko in this two-parter. So I'm wondering if maybe next week's episode is going to explain what she was up to while all this is going on. So it may, it may be connected. Probably won't be, but it might. <laughs> and if it is, I'll, I'll get to do the Natalie thing and say I called it. You heard her first of <laughs> Can you imagine how obno- unbearably, annoyingly obnoxious I'm going to be? If it turns out Lily Watson actually was behind everything. <laughs> hey. I, I mean, knows? I feel like they've washed their hands of that arc, but sure. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll, I'll write you that one if it turns out. <laughs> exactly. It's like, it's not going to happen. But if it did, mm-hmm. you know, just, just, just devote a whole episode to me to saying, I told you so. But anyway. <laughs> But yeah, I just I, rotating around in your chair with the middle figure. Fuck you, I was right. Fuck you, I was right. Fuck you, I was right. <laughs> you laughing at me now? Then, but who's laughing now? Okay, you're still laughing, but for a different reason. <laughs> Air horns blasting. <laughs> I did say obnoxious, didn't I? <laughs> but, but yeah, I like this one. I'm not going to go ahead and discount next week's episode yet. Yeah, you know, we'll see if it mm. if it connects. But yeah. I'm I'm enjoying you know, just like everybody else. I'm enjoying this second half a lot more than I did the first half. Indeed. So yeah, pretty much same for me. I I uh, really appreciate the very unexpected turn this took. I'm 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 as I've been for this entire arc, as opposed to the first one. I, I'm hooked all the way because this is like a really fascinating approach to take. It's it's interesting how the first half of the series promised a giant mystery, and this one, even though the theme, because there were those press releases where they're like, the theme of the first half is mystery, the theme of the second half is uh, woman, and like the second half has a better mystery theme than the first half did. So like you know at least <laughs> it paid off somehow. So I'm you know somewhat happy 
But I, I really do appreciate the... Uh, Although the first half didn't have been a woman. This is true. <laughs> um, but no, I, I appreciate it's finally giving Ari some character development and she's not just a 2D character, not big on the Yasha-Ari relationship thing because why like, just have her be her own character? However, I, I do fear for Ari... Because of because of her connection to Tomoe, I, I like Nigel mentioned. I am worried that they might just completely off her, which would be unfortunate for her to not do much, have a tiny bit of development, and then just be axed, which I wouldn't be a big fan of at all. But like, I mean, if let's hope you know if there are you know three two or three one offs after this, like is like can Ari survive that? Like, are the one offs going to end, and then we're just going to cut to a hospital scene of Zinagata? And Yata, like, with their hats off, just being like, well, she didn't make it. Zenigata looks directly at the camera because y'all took too long with two one-offs. Where did you go? <laughs> we needed you. <laughs> Gets super meta. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I, I am, I, 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 I don't, I don't want to sound too negative because I am very positive on the episode, but I am now worried considering the pacing track record of part six so far mm-hmm. that, it's, it's justified I've, to be cautious. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because like I, I am very invested before. in this, but that investment will taper off considering this is a weekly airing show. If we do three more side stories, I mean, I will care, but you know, I will be less enthused to figure out what happened, you know? Mm-hmm. So we'll see how it goes. I, I like where it's going, but I'm also frightened of where it's going. <laughs> it's kind of, where I'm at currently. <laughs> and justifiably so. Indeed. Indeed. So I guess that pretty much wraps up our thoughts on this week's episode. So, um, uh, oh yeah, I should remember to uh, hand the show over off to our good man in Switzerland, uh, Guillaume. I am doing just a normal playing transition because throughout this entire episode, I forgot to think of a fun transition to a segment. So, <laughs> Guillaume, I'm sorry. I fumbled the bag. Much like Yasha and the uh, first half of the series. So, over to you. <laughs> Hello again, Lupantic folks. Today we come back to the land of Kotornica to conclude our two-parter on Fakes Attract Thieves with episode 19 of Lupin the Third, part 6. And oh boy, if you thought that I was overly positive on the previous episode, you heard nothing yet. I loved every minute of this episode, and the suspense had me stay on the edge of my seat while the final reveal made me audibly gasp. I hope the neighbors didn't hear. But as usual, I am getting ahead of myself. Let's start from the beginning. Since Zenigata is imprisoned for most of the episode after he got apprehended at the scene of Hazel's murder, the story follows Yata and Aliana in search for clues that could help clear the inspector's name. Lupin and the gang are back in their American flat and will not intervene for the rest of the episode as the flights in and out of Kotornica are all cancelled following Hazel's murder. This gives Yata Goro some much needed development. 
The character was created in part 5 as a young stock-up that would eventually learn to understand Zenigata's methods. He returned in the TV special Prison of the Past as a mellowed-out comic relief and kept that relatively comedic role in the first half of part 6. Here he once again shows a bit of a temper, with Aliana having to calm him down. Clearly, Yata is very protective of Zenigata, and the police attitude towards ICPO pushes all his buttons. It's not helped that the local commissioner appeared to be a fan of Hazel's. Yata's temper takes the better of him once more while fighting with some vengeful punks. Aliana turns the tables and shows a high level of fighting skills, as well as a much cooler head than her male colleague. This is definitely Aliana's episode, as not only we learn more about her, but we fully empathize with her. My co-host Natalie correctly deduced something I had only suspected back in episode 13, that Tomoe tutored Aliana. In a flashback, we see that Tomoe had called the police to save a young Aliana from a bunch of harassing goons. Tomoe then says that while all her pupils are like her children, she will not put herself on the line for them. This contradicts Lupin's own flashbacks, where she protected him with her life, and further cements the idea that Lupin might very well be Tomoe's actual child. Aliana and Yata manage to get the paparazzi and Hazel's jealous right-hand man behind bars for the deep fake case. While they are not responsible for the murder, this convinces the police to let Zenigata go. Aliana and Yata go drink to a restaurant and they get closer in their hotel room until Yata spoils it all by being chauvinistic and saying he'll protect Aliana no matter what. Aliana, having taken Tomoe's lesson to heart, does not like the idea of depending on a man for her safety. Yata will then sleep on the couch. At night, Aliana looks at pictures of the killer taken by the paparazzi while recording her findings on her portable recorder. She deduces that this small-framed assassin could very well be a woman. And it is at this moment that I thought, oh shit no. Remember when I juggled with the hypothesis that Matya was behind Hazel's murder in the previous episode? Turns out I was right and part of me wishes I wasn't. Don't get me wrong, I love this twist, as it is both shocking and well foreshadowed. But I really liked Matya, and my little fanboy heart is a bit broken. Which was probably the desired effect on the writer's part. We already had twist reveals in Lupin III before. The cross-dresser who loved Goemong in part 2, who turned out to be an assassin. Lupin's old murderous partner hiding as the good doctor in an island of assassins in the TV special Warther P48. Or even Zenigata's partner in Escape from Alcatraz, who was the mafia leader all along. Uh, sorry for the spoilers, by the way. But in Matya's case, it is way more insidious. Her design is very delicate and cute, reminiscent of Clarice from Castle of Cagliostro, and we are introduced to her at a flower shop, a job that we automatically associate with something positive and harmless. Her dialogues with Lupin are compelling and also very cute. Plus, she gets hurt and Lupin comes visit her at her hospital, forcing us further into feeling sympathy. 
Just as Matya has infiltrated Lupin's operation, she did so with our preconceptions. This feeling of betrayal works as a great narrative hook, and we are now impatient to see her get defeated. Good job, Murakoshi! Aliana confronts Matya in her hotel room in a very tense scene where every word is loaded with menace. Matya's facade progressively cracking until she attacks Aliana with the bracelet she showed us in the previous episode. Again, good foreshadowing. With her eyes turning blank while she is ready to give a mortal blow, as if she wasn't really there, Matya really managed to give shivers down my spine. We also understand from Matya's cryptic words that not only was she sent to follow Lupin, but that something or someone influenced Aliana in crossing paths with Lupin too. We can deduce that Tomoe's plan might be bigger than we previously suspected, and she might have planted many seeds a long time ago. I am, however, wondering if Matya truly acts on Tomoe's behalf, or, on the contrary, if she wants to find Tomoe and kill her as part of some vengeance. Her killing previous pupils of Tomoe's can be interpreted both ways. But never mind my conspiracy theories, Zenigata and Yata run to the rescue, with the inspector finding out about Aliana's connection to Tomoe in the process. They might have arrived too late, as poor Aliana is in the hotel's corridor, bleeding and weak. She hands her precious recorder to Zenigata while Yata calls an ambulance. Meanwhile, in America, Lupin notices with a frown that the plant from Matya's workshop is withering. It's a very obvious bit of symbolism, but it works, as this shows Matya's true nature, and also how bitter will that revelation be for Lupin along the way. I cannot wait for their angsty, maybe tragic, confrontation as the two heirs of Tomoe's legacy. This episode had everything I wanted and more. Yata and Aliana's dynamic was well explored, with themes of affection, self-reliance, overprotectiveness, female patience, and male ego. In some aspects, they reminded me of Detective Takagi and Sato from Detective Conan. The first half of this episode was close to a Detective Conan case, since it was a bit of a procedural. The scenes leading to the climax were incredibly tense, and the story's twists and turns truly play with our feelings. I really, really hope that Aliana doesn't die, though, as I think this would be unnecessarily tragic for the series, and I think she still has a lot to give. That's all for me, Lupantic folks! Next time we go back to Standalone as we meet a pink-haired frenemy of Fujiko's past. Until next time, stay safe, and remember, don't bring a gun to a bracelet fight. You can find me on Twitter at William Barbey, B-A-B-E-Y, on DeviantArt and ArtStation as ShinRedDeer, S-H-I-N-R-E-D-D-E-A-R, and you can even commission me or send me a tip on my coffee, also under ShinRedDeer. Red Jacket Chris, where can we find you on the social media? Well, uh, follow me on Twitter, aficionado Chris, because they wouldn't let me pluralize it and keep the name Chris. So it was either aficionado's cry or aficionado Chris. 
So follow <laughs> me there. Uh, obviously, you can go to my YouTube channel, which is also Aficionados Chris, or go to my website, aficionadoschris.com. That basically is an all-encompassing. If you want to find me or follow me on something, it's on the front page. So go there. It's probably easier that way. And uh, look out for my book sometime this year, maybe early next year. I, I do not know, but I, I'm hoping this year. Look out for that. Looking forward to it. Yeah, same. And Green Jacket Chris, where can we find you? Well, uh, you can find me on Twitter uh, at Dr. Furball. Uh, find me on uh, a bunch of other places at Amazing Chris Godby. That's a G O D B E Y. Um, my website is theamazingchrisgodby.com. I just got the domain name today. And uh, you can find my web comics at weirdinacan.com and drawocoward.com. Very nice. Boy, it's so much easier. <laughs> and uh, you can find me on Twitter at DrewHunter15. That's uh, D-R-E-W-H-U-N-T-E-R-1-5. And you can find our podcast on Twitter at LupinPod. That's L-U-P-I-N-P-O-D. And you can find us on Instagram at the same at. And uh, you can listen to our podcast on SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. And if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, if you're if, if, if you're feeling good enough, you know, scroll on down. It's, you know, there, there's a there's a certain number of stars there. If you wouldn't mind filling in, you know, one of them, you know, closest one to the right, that'd be swell. You know, if you don't, we'd be more than glad to show you what our cool bracelet can do. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> <laughs> Is that too much? I can never tell. It's a, it's a thinly veiled threat. Not nearly as thinly veiled as the bracelet, no, but... I, I was going to say, it's... I, I wouldn't even call it thinly veiled. <laughs> it's pretty much a direct threat. Well, yes, but for... For legal reasons, we'll say it's thinly veiled. Exactly. Aha, it's a yeah, suggestion. <laughs> Nothing more. Yes. It's, a, it's an implication. <laughs> and on that note... We will <laughs> see you next time, Lupatic folks. <laughs> Bye. Prochainement dans Clop et Rouflaquette. That was French, by the way. <laughs> Fujiko dressed as a nun? You had my curiosity, now you have my attention. <laughs>
monkey man They giving you an armor and took away your first name